Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be here with you this week at, uh, at New Horizons, and hopefully we'll get to know each other a little bit over the next uh, two or three days when we're running these workplace seminars. Um, I have to say, uh, quite often, when I, when I give people a handout, they think, hmm, uh, it's great to have a handout, but I haven't got a pen. So if you need a pen, here's some pens. Um, I'm going to give them to Mark. So if you need a pen, just uh, raise a hand and we'll get one for you in some way, shape, or form. Just in case you might want to take notes. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to be doing a, a, an exercise or two, so you'll, you will need a pen tomorrow for sure. Also, um, uh, once or twice during the seminar, I want to get you to talk to each other, if that's okay. You, might, you don't mind talking to each other, hopefully. But it would be helpful if you were sitting next to someone you could talk to. Um, so uh, just consider that in your seating arrangements. Um, okay, so I mentioned last night um, I've done a variety of things work-wise uh, in terms of, of the types of jobs I've had. What I didn't say is what I'm actually doing at the moment, which is I work for LICC, which is the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Um, and uh, our goal is really to help people to connect the wisdom that's in the Bible with what's going on in the world around us. And my particular job is to lead the work forum there. So everything that has to do with work in the workplace and uh, envisioning and encouraging Christians at work and working with church leaders to envision and encourage Christians at work. So that's, that's why I'm here this week. That's what makes me get up in the morning. Um, because I found that that, uh, that biblical wisdom to be uh, so true in my own working life. And it, so it is for all of us. And what Heather was sharing with us, of course, this morning, that the Holy Spirit um, within us, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is there and goes with us and has gone before us in our everyday working lives. And we want to discover a little bit of how that pans out as we go through these three seminars today, really about the work itself, uh, tomorrow about our relationships at work, bless them, and, uh, and Wednesday building on that, you know, how do we actually witness well and naturally without the baggage that we often carry. So uh, just a quick show of hands, um, what, sort of, what sort of environment do you work in? So how many people have you got here in, in the public sector? Okay, and so like education, yeah, quite a few, and healthcare, okay, um, social work of some sort, all right, uh, and um, government, yeah, okay, anybody else, what, who have I missed in the public sector? Yes? Entertainment zone. <laughs> Say again? Entertainment zone. Entertainment? Clubs and pubs. Oh, cool, all right. Excellent. Well, welcome. Thank you. I'll put that down for next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, and private sector folk? Got a few then? Yes, one or two hardened private sector people up at the back row. <laughs> okay, well, what, what are you in? Engineering. Yeah. Nursing. Nursing. Private sector nursing. Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Anybody else in the private sector here? A few? Yeah? IT. IT. Property. Property. Cool. Well, welcome everybody. What I want to talk about um, should be relevant across the piece uh, today. So um, as we think about our work today, I'd like to put it in the context of uh, our vocation. And I want you to start by thinking about, well, what does the word vocation kind of conjure up in your own mind? How do you, how do you actually hear vocation being used in everyday language? So just have a quick, a quick chat to the person next to you. How do you hear it? What does it mean? Don't think too deeply about this. Gut feel, vocation, what does it say to you? Just one minute. Have a quick chat. All right, so what do you hear? What does, what does vocation mean to you guys? Just shout out. Yeah. Calling. Calling, okay, thank you. That's very good. That's what we're going on to next. Thank you for that. <laughs> what, else does it, what else does it say to you? What does vocation kind of conjure up? Career. Career, okay, something quite specific or long-lasting, perhaps. Gifting. A gifting, yeah, yeah, something that God's maybe put in you, yeah. Not money led. Not money led. Yes, not money led. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so this is something perhaps that you might do for not much money, because you feel actually this is something you just need to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Sorry, what's that? Challenging and worthy. Challenging, yes, and worthy, yeah. indeed. <laughs> they often are, the ones that aren't very well paid. Some of the ones that are well paid are quite challenging and worthy too. Um, uh, Mark's just said that you can't really see me, but would you rather see the slides or me? I don't really mind. Um, I, can put, I can put these lights on, but you can't see the slides. So we'll put them off again. <laughs> I'll say cheerio. Just this is my disembodied voice for the next few minutes. Okay, um, so, well, of course, the thing is, as somebody pointed out, the word vocation doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but the word calling does. Um, and in Scripture, calling isn't related to something we do, but something God does. Because calling presupposes a caller, and it's God who calls. So, first and foremost, we're not called to something, or somewhere, or some job necessarily. First and foremost, we're called to someone. We're called to a person. We're called to God. So let's just stop for a moment and think about what makes us respond to a call. Um, at, one point, at one point I was working in technology services and I was a kind of a middle manager running projects for people like British Aerospace um, or Rolls-Royce. And uh, one day I got a phone call from the CEO, the chief executive. He doesn't normally phone me up, so he did that day. And he said, Charles, we want to float this company on the London Stock Exchange and we need someone to head up the project. Are you interested? And uh, it was one of those moments when you know, he who hesitates is lost. <laughs> so, so I just said yes and kind of put the phone down. And, um, and that was a life-changing moment because it kind of took me from technology, which is where I started, to uh, finance and corporate uh, corporate finance, where I worked for the next 15 years or so. Um, but I've often asked myself, well, why did I say yes? Particularly since I had no clue what floating a company on the London Stock Exchange might involve. Why did he ask me? Well, the reason I responded, I think, is that because he was somebody significant, who valued who I was, uh, what I could contribute, and had a clear purpose in mind for me. And that speaks to some of the very powerful questions that we tend to carry just sort of underneath the surface, as it were, um, in our hearts and minds. Who am I? Why am I here? And what am I worth? Does anybody else have those questions, or is that just me? One or two nods. Yes, okay, it's not just me. So thankfully, my CEO wasn't God, although he did actually seem like it at the time. And I was excited to answer his call. But when God... The God of the universe calls us. Um, God dials up and, and he says, I love you. I want you to be a part of me and my people and my purposes for this world I've made. Well, that's kind of something else, isn't it? That's something else. Because that call touches all of who we are. It answers all of those big questions. And that's what I mean by vocation this morning. That's where we're, that's where we're heading with calling. But what we need to see, and the reason for having these seminars is, well, that's all very well, but what does that look like on a Monday morning? What does it look like in everyday life? Well, God's call is on all of our life, and it's um, for all of our life. It's a bit like this kind of pure white light heading into the prism here. And when we look at God's call on all of our life through the prism of scripture, uh, through the story that the Bible tells from creation through to consummation, the coming of the kingdom again, um, then we can see that that calling plays out in different ways, in different colours. And I've just picked four of these. Um, in the creation account, we, we see we're called to steward the earth as co-workers with God. So this is the work that God gave us to do in the beginning, our creation mandate it's sometimes called, to shape his world. Um, and of course that became much harder as a, as a result of our disobedience. And we shape God's world wherever we happen to be, whether we're working for money, whether we go out to work, whether we work in the home, whether we're homemakers, uh, we're actually teaching children and creating an environment at home, uh, whatever we do to shape 
the world. Sometimes some of us will be working from home, so we're working for somebody else, but we're in our home whilst we're doing it. Whatever we're doing, that's part of our creation mandate. But of course it became harder as, uh, as we read through to Genesis 3, we get to Genesis 3, we get to the fall, and, uh, and then God reaches out to rescue humankind from the consequences of that rebellion. And those who respond to the offer that Jesus makes, uh, reconciled to God through Christ, are then called to be disciples. So the second stage of our call, if you like, is, is to be disciples, learning to follow Jesus uh, as whole life disciples, we call them at LICC, wherever Jesus has placed us, wherever God's put us in our everyday life. And as part of that, uh, part of that call to Jesus as his followers, as his disciples, as Jesus established his body on earth, we're called to community, and we're here this week in community. You have your own church communities, we're here as a big church community. We also have the wider community of society. We're also called uh, to that and to be living in that as salt and light. as his church, both when we're gathered and when we're scattered. Okay. And then finally, uh, we're called to purpose. We're called to participate in the restoration purposes of God. And, and all of this is part of a big picture, uh, an understanding of calling, which has to do w- with what God is doing uh, in his creation, in our lives as disciples, in his church, and in the world. And it's the, in the light of these things that we, can underst- that we then understand, well, what are the different stages on which our call to God, our primary call to God, actually plays out in our homes, and our families, in our activities in the local community, and in our work? And that's the focus for today. We want to look at work within those themes of our overall, overall calling to God in more detail. Uh, and to grow in confidence that the gospel is in fact good news for the actual work we do, for the people we work with, and also for the organisations we work in, if we do work in, in an organisation. But you know, often we we lack a bit of confidence around that. We, we carry these kind of, what I'd call false doctrines in our heads. Um, I often hear people say things like this, my work isn't really important to God. It's not as important as that nurse or that missionary. Or that discipleship is something that happens in church, but nowhere else. Um, Or I I like to come to church as a nice kind of retreat from life. It's a rest. I can get away from it all. So well done to all you guys who've come here to a seminar on work when you're actually meant to be uh, (laughs) here having a holiday. Uh, or mission is something I do in my spare time. Does anybody sort of recognise any of those things, any of those settings? Um, I'm going to pick three questions, perhaps, and uh, maybe you can tell me, what, what do you think are the most common questions that people ask about work? So why are you here, for example, today? What questions do you have about work? Just anybody give us a, an example or two. Why am I here? They're all thinking. Why <laughs> <laughs> you can be a more effective uh, witness in your work. Oh, wi- yes. So how do I witness to Jesus more effectively? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any others? Excuse me. This sounds rather strange. Um, what's the significance of work in, yeah. in the life of a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Why does it matter? Yeah. Anything else? Be an example. How can I be an example? Okay, pretty much. That's pretty much hit the three questions that uh, actually are most most uh, often asked. Um, why does my work matter? What does being a disciple or a follower of Jesus look like at work? Um, and how can I witness to Jesus at work? And we'll start on these today, but we're actually going to be pursuing them over the next two days as well. <coughs> So I'm going to pick those three questions, and we're going to have a look at each of those in the next few minutes together. And we're going to start with, so why does my work matter to God? And I want to see what we can learn from God the worker. Okay, so we're coming into a bit of theology here. Okay, so please don't fall asleep, or if you do, in about ten minutes, we can wake up again and carry on. But this is important, so 
uh, a bit of theology about, about work and workplace. Really important to have that. It's a, it's a great foundation upon which we can then live. What can we learn from God the creative worker? Well, we start in Genesis. That's a great place to start. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's the beginning of the universe. And there are two accounts of creation in Genesis. Uh, and they both give us a window on something of God's approach to his work of creation. First, they show us that God's intent was always to delegate to humankind the way that his creation was cultivated. So Genesis 1.26, you can read it uh, for yourself. That basically made in his image, uh, we were made to rule over creation, to cultivate it. And at the time Genesis was written, that meant building families, it meant uh, growing of crops, breeding of animals, um, the tending of the garden. And we echo those tasks in our 21st century jobs, or some of them, and there's still ways in which we work to develop a culture and a civilization. That's our mandate. God made the world, in fact, to need work in order to bring forth its, its fullness and its riches. So not only was creation work, but it's designed, creation is designed to need work. I mean, you know, if you don't do any work in your garden, what happens? It goes haywire, doesn't it? So entropy for the scientists among you, entropy occurs. Disorder, the degree of disorder increases naturally. That's what happens to anything. So the world is made in a way that needs work um, to bring forth riches and potential. So building of houses or creating homes or designing clothes or running a business, teaching children, uh, works not a result of our sin. It's not one of those things we just have to do because we sinned. And uh, we're going to have to go to work to earn some money. It's actually important to God. It's the way the world works. He's made it to work. So that's the first thing in Genesis. And then secondly, what Genesis shows us is a God who is, who is present with us. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is here. A God who enjoys relationship with us as we work. A God who's intensely interested in the work we do. There's a fantastic um, cameo in Genesis 2.19 where um, it, says, it says here's the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. It was to the man because there was only a man at that point. Okay, It would have been both had there been both. Uh, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So, you know, you can imagine God sort of come, walking along in the garden and coming to see Adam and putting his arm around his shoulder and says, so Adam, what are you going to name that big grey thing with the floppy ears and long nose? And Adam says, hmm, I think that's going to be an elephant. And God doesn't say, elephant? I don't think so. No, actually elephant was his name because that was the delegated authority he gave to Adam to name the animals. It was an important part. There's knowledge work there as well as the, uh, the manual labour of cultivating the garden. So we can say much more, but from those early Genesis accounts, we can see that uh, work has at least um, these two values. It has instrumental value. It helps to provide what, what we need and what others need to flourish. And it has relational value as we co-work with each other <coughs> and we work in communion with God to do that. <coughs> so let's just pause for a moment and think, what does that mean for our work, our actual work, the actual things we do, the IT we do, or the nursing that we do, the business that we run? What does that mean? Well, it means that the actual work, the day-to-day labour of our hands, as it were, is important to God. It gets done what God wants doing, mostly. It's part of our call. But, you know, I've spoken to lots of people who don't, just don't feel that. Um, they feel that they're at work to earn a wage uh, and to pay their tithe and then maybe do some evangelism if they're really saintly. But there is so much more to it that we need to embrace. And I'd encourage you to embrace this week. We're made in the image of God to work, in the presence of God, in relationship with God, in community with others. 
to get what God wants doing done in his strength, by his spirit, as we were hearing this morning, to his glory. The spirit is given to us for everyday work. We'll come on to that towards the end of this morning. So, um, as God has made us to work, and he's keenly interested in each of us, in each of us as individuals and together as a group, he's keenly interested in what we do. He gives us some of these things, our personalities, our experiences, the gifts and skills that came up as we thought about vocation, what motivates us, what gets us up in the morning, our circumstances. These things together give us some sort of clues as to maybe where we would flourish uh, in a workplace situation. Uh, what sort of context and what sort of role we might play. Let me give you an example. My son, Anthony, uh, the context for him was always clear. He was born ble- playing a guitar. Um, and he's been only interested in music ever since. So he got an A-star in his music GCSE and pretty much nothing else. <laughs> At the age of 18, he left home to go join a band. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, he, the context that was always going to be music, what was he going to do? Well, obviously, like all, all musicians, he wanted to be a rock star. He tried that for a couple of years. That didn't really pan out. Um, so then he went into, he actually went to college, bless him, thank God. <laughs> he went to Nexus, which is a, a Christian music college, and they kind of put him straight. And he ended up as a tutor in Nexus, so it was teaching, let's teach music. And then, well, no, that's not it. And then he moved to London, and he interned for a while, and he, fa- he found what it was going to be. Where's the, wh- where's the role? And it was um, actually uh, uh, running a business, a music business. Uh, he now runs uh, a, a, a business that manages producers in the music industry. And he's doing some stuff with Christian music as well. So that's what I mean by context and role. The, the context was there for him, the role he's had to find. For me, the role is always the same. I kind of, uh, I'm a sort of make it happen person and sort of get things, get the ducks in a row and make it happen. I do that wherever I go. But the context has been in all sorts of different places, private sector, public sector, church, charity work, but I do what I do. So there are clues that God gives us, if you like, uh, from those circles as to where we might flourish. But, uh, and often, oftentimes, the, the sort of um, uh, uh, resources that are out there uh, both Christian and not, look at these things and help us to try, try to help us to, to, to find where it is uh, we should be uh, working. What that tends to do, though, there's a danger in that. One is that the perfect job, where all these things come together miraculously, is quite rare, to be honest. Um, so you can end up feeling disappointed for most of your life, which is not the point. But secondly... It's, it's getting us to ask perhaps the wrong question or the right question the wrong way around. So we're asking, where might I flourish? So we look at these things. But actually the question God's asking is, how can I help other people to flourish through the work that I do? How do I help others to flourish through the work that I do? Because that's what God did in creation, in his creation work. He worked intentionally with clear purpose to make provision he created uh, all sorts of things he created order out of chaos he made provision he created beauty he released potential he released joy amongst other things so when we look at God the worker of creation perhaps we can start to see well how our work actually helps others to flourish. We can see how our work reflects God, how we are made in the image of God a little bit, how a teacher helps her class to unlock their potential. Or perhaps window dressers create amazingly beautiful displays. Here's uh, Selfridges. This is actually a Midsummer Night's Dream as performed by Selfridges in Oxford Street. Um, and here's Romeo and Juliet. So think of the creativity that went into making those windows look that way. Fantastic. And even if, we, if you're a small cog in a big organisation, we can learn to see how we can bring creativity to bear. So, for example, you might work in a tax office and you 
you create a tax form which is easy to fill out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Please. <laughs> Somebody do that. That one's not bad, but I mean, okay. No tax form is great. Or maybe you, uh, you design a washing machine that uses less water. It's more, econo- uh, more e- ecologically friendly. Or uses less energy. That's, that's a reality at the moment. We're actually using less energy these days. It's a good thing. When I worked as a, a materials engineer, um, I would spend days puzzling over why a particular high-strength al- alloy failed after a few hundred hours in service when it wasn't supposed to. So I would do my experiments and I would literally hold up the results to God and say, OK, Lord, you made this stuff, so what's going wrong? And he would give me insights and we were able to work out some of the issues at least and fix some of them. Because God's interested in learning, he's interested in retail, in design, he's even interested in high-strength alloys. <laughs> even if I'm the only, one in the, the only other one in the room that's interested in <laughs> And of course God's interested in a whole bunch of other stuff. So what about us? Let's think about our work for a moment or two. Given what we've now seen, we've had a very quick canter through a theology of why work matters... What we've seen about the one who calls us to work, think about your own work. (laughs) How does your work (laughs) help other people to flourish? How does your work help other people to flourish? How does it create order or provide provision or create beauty or release potential or joy? (coughs) How does our work express God's love to others or to God himself? So again, just have a quick chat to your neighbour. Twos or three, see if you can jot down on your handout, how does my work help others to flourish? How, do, how does it help me? How do I work in the image of God in that sense? Just give it a minute or two to have a, a quick look at that. So what are we seeing? Are you seeing something of the image of God in what you do? Who's seen something of the image of God in what they, what they do every day? Somebody must have seen something. Yeah. Go ahead. To um, redesign reports for clients. To redesign? Yeah. To oh. So that makes sense. Yeah. <coughs> Great. Thank you. I'm sure they're very grateful for that. So, they're yeah. still working progress. <laughs> <laughs> they will be very grateful for that. Okay. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Anybody else? I work in a school and I do the maintenance in the building. Oh, yeah. And I also make sure that everybody has what they need, whether it's setups for right. orchestra, playing fools, marking out pitches, everything, so that they can just walk straight out and the job's done for them. Brilliant, brilliant. Otherwise, there'd be chaos, wouldn't there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great, thank you. I'm sure they're grateful for that too. Yeah, one more. Yeah. Just to have um, community in the office, you're sitting with people for eight, maybe yeah. up to eight hours a day yeah. that you actually get on. Yeah. yeah. That there's no negativity, no backstabbing. Right. None of that. Fantastic. Yeah, sounds good. Can I come and work where you are? <laughs> it takes a lot of prayer. Yes. But it gets there. That's fantastic. And that's actually tomorrow's topic. So maybe you'd like to come and share some of that tomorrow. Excellent. Um, you know, that, as we reflect on these things, we will begin to see what's God actually put inside me. How is it coming out? Uh, how can I look to the Spirit to see more of that? How can I do that in God's strength? So I would encourage you to just keep pondering on that question as we turn to the second one, which we need to because time's getting on. What does it being a disciple look like at work? Um, so this is about obviously following Jesus. And for some, following Jesus in and through their work means engaging in work that's actually redemptive in nature. Okay, so Jesus' work on the cross was redemptive, clearly. It's the prime example of redemptive work. Uh, But there's the medic working to heal some of the physical or mental damage that we suffer in this fallen world. Or, perhaps less obviously, there's the refuse collector restoring beauty to streets that would otherwise be under piles of rotting vegetables. That's redemptive work. For other people, it means modelling Jesus' example of selfless investment in others. I'm just going to play you a, a video, which is the story of someone who works in the NHS, where, where sometimes it's quite hard to stand out as a Christian. Hi, 
Sarah last year. She's a scientist in an NHS hospital. Sarah is a very nice person, just like all her colleagues. Her team is caring, they're supportive, and they do a really good job of working together. And as Sarah says, it's hard to be distinctive as a Christian when everyone is so nice. And so she started talking to God about it. Because she is a quiet sort of person, she's someone who doesn't naturally talk about matters of faith in everyday <coughs> conversation. And she felt that God did answer her with a direct challenge. A challenge to start thinking carefully about her ambition and to create opportunities for other people to develop and to flourish. Sarah isn't a manager yet, but equally, she's no longer the most junior person in her team. She's got a degree of experience, she's got a degree of seniority, and she's realized she can actually make a difference in people's working lives by the opportunities that she is able to put their way. God has helped her to see ways in which she can help her colleagues and her subordinates gain experiences that will advance their own careers. To some extent, she is foregoing her own opportunities by sharing out those experiences with others in a way that benefits them. So as she gains access to new equipment or to new projects, perhaps to new patient cases, she has started to share those out with others in her team. And she senses her colleagues trust her more now than they might otherwise have done. It's been a really good way, she told me, to get to know people, develop relationships with them, because she can see that they take her seriously when she invests in them. And she knows she's showing them something of God's character when she does this. It's more than common niceness, a lot more. It's out of the way generosity in the model of Jesus, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's Sarah. What did you notice about Sarah's story? Anything strike you? Anything in particular strike you? She didn't actually mention Jesus. It was <coughs> her actions. Right. So she was living something out there, wasn't she, by, <laughs> by, by following Jesus by what she did. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, there was a hand over there I missed. No? It's gone down again. <laughs> Anything else you noted? Just God's direction. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's just a little example of the work of the Spirit in someone's everyday working life. Lord, what shall I do? They're all so nice. And it gives us something to do. Now, it's not going to be the same thing for all of us. But still, we can ask God, what shall I do? Um, you know, how, how do I? So... Come back on Wednesday, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, so, uh, following Jesus in the actual nature of the work, the redemptive nature of the work, following Jesus in the self-sacrificial love that Sarah was showing there. Um, and also, Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge the social norms, was he? Especially when those norms cut across the values of the kingdom of God. So if you think about uh, Jesus' association with lepers, that wasn't done. He had tea with tax collectors. That definitely wasn't done. He sat down with a Samaritan woman at the well and had a chat. Goodness me. That wasn't done. Well, sometimes we can follow Jesus in the way that we are iconoclastic. We actually challenge the norms. And uh, I want to tell you about Grant. Here's Grant. Grant Smith, good friend of mine. Uh, Grant is, uh, or was, a quantity surveyor. And... Um, he would describe himself as a rhino. Uh, why a rhino? Well, because quantity surveyors are thick-skinned and charge a lot. <laughs> that's, that's Grant, not me. <laughs> anyway, Grant did, uh, as a quantity surveyor, he actually did a bit of work in Kenya. He noticed as he was working there that um, in the construction industry, the guys at the top of the industry were all driving around in new SUVs, and the bricklayers at the bottom of the industry were, couldn't afford to send their kids to school. So he thought, oh, that's not good. I'll set up a charity. So he did, to uh, help to educate the children of the bricklayers. And then after a while, I suspect God sort of tapped, tapped him on the shoulder and said, actually, there's a better way of doing this, Grant. And uh, you're a business person. Why don't you set up a business that does pay the bricklayers enough to send their kids to school? So that's what he did. Uh, he now runs a construction business in, in Nairobi, 
Um, he's there one week in, in the, one week a month, and it specifically aims to pay the management, which is him, less, and the goodies chair, and the <laughs> and the, <laughs> and, the uh, and the and the bricklayers, the workers, if you like, more. Um, and uh, he makes sure that the workers wear the right safety equipment. They wear helmets. They wear steel cap boots, which otherwise they might not. They're paid sick leave. He's actually trying to change the culture of an industry. He's cutting across the norm. Sometimes we're called to do that. This is his first project. That's not bad, is it? The first project. And he's now building a couple of office blocks in Nairobi. So God, is, God has given him favour. So as we look at God, the creative worker, or the worker at creation, if you like, we can see how we might image uh, him in that. As we look at Jesus the redemptive worker, we can see how we might reflect um, his self-sacrificial love, his redemptive work, and his iconoclastic uh, way of working. But following Jesus at work is not only about what we do, is it? It's also about who we are. And this comes perhaps a little bit more towards the transformational aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit we were hearing about this morning. Because we can only represent Jesus because he renews us and he recreates us from the inside out so that we look like him. It's only when the light of Christ shines through us that we're actually representing him at work. So if we're whole life disciples and we're people learning to follow Jesus and his ways in that context... That's got implications for how we approach our work, but also for how we connect with Christ in our work so that his light can shine through us. We're going to be shaped in the workplace, aren't we? The question is, who's doing the shaping? Now, when, when are the greatest opportunities to grow? Are they when everything's going really swimmingly? It's fantastic. You know, we're on the top right in the crest of a wave. Not normally. No, it's normally when things are tough. You know, and we've had a, you know, we've fallen out with our colleague, or that project is, is late and someone's let us down, or the boss, <coughs> the boss is being too demanding. Those are the opportunities to grow, as long as we respond well to God in that opportunity, rather than resent Him for sending us through those tough times. Um, that, because there are always lessons for us to learn through difficult work situations. Because flourishing is not the absence of difficulty or pain. It's being what God made us to be in the midst of it. Sometimes as a result of it. And Paul reminds us in, in Romans 5.13, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And I'm sure in a room this size, some of you will be in that place right now. It's tough at work. You're facing opposition of one sort or, or another. Difficulties. What will you do? Um, quite early in my working life, God gave me this picture. Not exactly that picture, but something like it. picture of an anvil. And, and with the words, I'm going to use your work to shape you. So I thought, hmm. <coughs> but, but Lord, isn't that where you kind of shove the steel in the fire till it's red hot and then you kind of beat it with a hammer? That feels painful to me. And he said, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. And actually, I, I can testify that's what God has done. He has shaped me through my work. Sometimes it's been quite painful. Sometimes it still is. Um, but in responding to God in those circumstances, he will take what seems to be a negative circumstance and turn it into something with eternal value. So let's respond to God uh, in the difficulties that we encounter uh, in our work. And then we must turn to our, our third question. How can I witness to Jesus at work? We will pick this up in, in, in more detail on Wednesday. But I just, wanna, I just want to offer you something which we found to be really helpful. Um, I'm going to ask Mark to hand around some cards. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to go through what's on the card so you don't need to read them, but these are just a reminder for you. 
If somebody were to ask you the question, where have you seen God at work, what would you be thinking? Would you be racking your brains for an impressive story of miraculous healing by the photocopier? Well, it's quite an important question. And we discovered this as we, uh, uh, as we started to um, develop something called Transforming Work, which is a discipleship resource I'll, I'll say a little bit more about on Wednesday. We were working with groups of, of working people just like you, and what became apparent was that it was quite hard for people to say where they'd seen God at work. And so, uh, together, we developed a little framework of six things uh, beginning with M, or mostly beginning with M. You'll see the last two we've kind of squashed into it a little bit, uh, but let's call them the six M's. And that's what's on your card, so you can stick that in your wallet or purse and uh, keep it handy. I just want to finish this morning by, by running through these quickly, and we're going to come back to one or two of them in the next day or so. But it's a framework that uh, I think will just help you to see. It's about having eyes to see what's actually already happening. Because, again, as we heard this morning, the Spirit of God is already in us. You will already be doing this, but you might not recognise it. So let's look to God for fresh eyes this morning to see what he's doing in and through us and to fire an imagination for perhaps what he might do. So, the first M, modelling godly character. Uh, And this is just reminding ourselves of what, what I've just said, that God shapes us, that he forms our character. And as that happens, we start to become bearers of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so to see, well, okay, what does that look like at work? All you have to ask yourself is, well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? So here they are, in case you're wondering what these are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the gentleness, self-control. What does kindness look like at work? Well, maybe it's a timely cup of tea for a colleague. Or maybe, actually, it's... Um, Spending time with someone who needs uh, someone else to talk to. Maybe self-control is keeping a cool head when you're being sorely provoked in a meeting, rather than letting rip. So can you see the Spirit's fruit at work through you? It's very practical, this. It's very sort of, you know, down to earth. This is what the Spirit does in us. What does it look like on Tuesday at three o'clock? Second then... um, Sorry, let's get that one, modelling godly character. Second M is making good work. Well, again, we just covered that. Really important, though, to reflect on how is, how is my work actually good in God's eyes? How does it reflect God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer? How am I, how am I working by the Spirit, in the power of his Spirit? And then as we remember Jesus' great command to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves... We have a third M, which is about ministering grace and love. And as I mentioned, this could be simply uh, simple as a timely cup of coffee, but it could be a good appraisal that looks carefully at someone who's working in your team and how they might flourish, where are their gifts, what's God given them, how has he uniquely made them, so spending time thinking about that person. That could be ministering grace and love. Sometimes it's a redemptive rebuke if that's actually necessary. And again, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. So how do you minister grace and love at work? And then Jesus also said that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the fourth M is about moulding culture. This is about the sort of influence that we can have on how things are done around us at work. We heard just a few minutes ago about how one can influence the, the nature of the relationships around us. But there are other things Actually, a good system, you know, if you're responsible for a process or a system in your workplace, a good one that helps other people to flourish is a way of influencing the culture. All sorts of things carry culture, even the way the furniture is arranged. All sorts of things carry the culture of your workplace. How can you influence that uh, for good? It may be as uh, simply countering a blame culture or quenching gossip with a positive word for that person who is always the butt of jokes. And then the fifth M, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. We know that God's very keen on righteousness and justice, isn't he? Comes up a lot in the Bible. Um, At work, this is really about 
how we rule the patch that God has given us to rule. It might be a small patch, it might be a big patch, but whatever God's given us, how do we rule that? What's happening there? Do we see righteousness? Do we see justice? Or do we see things that are not fair going on? What do we do about that? We need wisdom. We need winsomeness. Wiser snakes and harmless as doves. Do we speak up when someone's been treated unfairly? This is an, unco- an uncomfortable end because actually it means sticking your head above the parapet a bit. You might get shot at. But as I say, God's very keen on righteousness and justice, truth and justice. It's close to God's heart. And then the sixth M is being a messenger of the gospel. And this is, this is as we come to be able to... Uh, take the opportunities that we pray for perhaps that God gives us to verbalise why we follow Jesus. So it's, this is not about delivering a pre-packaged gospel warhead and retreating to a safe distance. <laughs> you know what I mean. And sort of scoring the brownie points for the day. This is actually um, builds on the other five M's in this, uh, in this um, framework. The credibility that's created by the life that you live at work. And when the, ch- when the opportunity comes, explaining naturally the hope you have in Jesus. Why do you work differently? Why did you stand up for that person? Why did you take that tough decision? Got a few examples we'll, we'll go through on, on Wednesday. But you, we use language that isn't church language, hopefully. We use language that people at work use. We don't sort of slip into religious hat uh, and, and perhaps draw the bridge diagram or something and they think, what, what's going on here? We're actually still Joe at the workplace, you know, and we just share why it is we trust and follow Jesus. We take advantage of different seasons of the year, perhaps. Maybe at Easter time we can explain why the cross is important to you, the deeper meaning of Easter eggs. So it's actually relatively easy to have a a conversation, a spiritual conversation at work these days, as long as you are cognizant of... um, the environment and are wise about how you say what you say and we're not imposing our faith we're simply sharing it open-handedly so others can explore it without pressure and we'll come back to that so (coughs) hopefully you can see from that framework that joining in God's big mission God's purpose can take all sorts of different forms and this isn't meant to burden you with six extra things to do you know you came in here and you thought all i had to do was to tie it and evangelize and now i've got six things i've got to do in my already manically busy working day that's not the point it's actually to just give you a framework to be able to help you to see what you're already doing and maybe reinforce some of that and maybe have an imagination to uh, to grow into it <coughs> So we've looked at our three questions. I hope that's been encouraging. We must just also just remind ourselves that working in the image of our creator God and following his son in the work we do also means that we are empowered by the spirit for the work he calls us to do. Genesis reminds us that even God the Father was not alone in his creating, that the spirit of God was hovering, was brooding, over the waters. In Hebrew, uh, the words are ruach merachafet, the spirit hovering. And you can kind of hear the, uh, the, the, the tonal echo, ruach merachafet, the spirit spiriting over the waters in God's work of creation. And that same spirit empowers us today. How many people here have heard, have heard of Bezalel? Nobody's heard of... Oh, yes, there's a one person who's heard of Bezalel. Excellent. Okay, Bezalel uh, was a worker. He turns up in Exodus, roughly chapter 30. Uh, it's somebody that God gave to Moses to help him build the tent of meeting where God was going to meet with his people. Uh, and the Lord says to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills for this job. You think, wow, that sounds good. I could use that on a Monday morning. Well, the Spirit of God is in us. 
The Spirit of God is available to us for our work. A friend of mine is a plastic surgeon in um, South Africa. And she had a particular case. It was a little boy with a, a, a pinched mouth. It was, it was kind of a circular... But the condition meant his mouth, his mouth, he could only open his mouth a very small amount. Uh, hard to eat, very hard to brush his teeth. So they needed to operate. She knew the procedure wasn't very good. So she goes home, she prays with her husband. That night she has a dream. Lo and behold, she's doing a surgical procedure on this little boy. So she thinks, well, that's interesting. That wasn't the procedure I would have used. So she carries on. Next night she goes home, she has the same dream. She begins to think, hmm, perhaps I should be listening to this dream. So she kind of writes the procedure down. She takes it to her, uh, to her boss, and they sit down together, and they agree, actually, yes, this, this could work. It's safe. Let's try this. So with permission, she tries it, and it works really well. And she writes it up, and it's published in an international journal, and now surgeons across the world are using this procedure to operate on this condition. The Spirit of God helping us at work. You do not have to be a plastic surgeon for the Spirit of God to help you in your everyday work. So just as we, as we draw to a close, I wanted to give you an opportunity, just a minute or two, to reflect. And I, I think I've given you a question at the bottom of your, of your sheet, which I forgot to put my slides, never mind. <laughs> But there should be a question at the bottom of your, of your sheet, which is, this, how, does, how does the action of the Holy Spirit help us to carry out our call to God in and through our work? Have you got that on your handout? Okay. How does the action of the Holy Spirit help us to carry out our call to God in and through our work? So I just think it would be good for us, just individually for a moment, to pause um, and reflect given what we've been through this morning, ask God to highlight one or two things. Just jot them down, and then please do come back to them as, you, as and when you return to work. So let's just have a couple of minutes to do that. Okay, I'm going to uh, draw us back. I hope that's been helpful. And back to Mark. <laughs>